I've been, uh, you know, I go on YouTube a lot, and uh, it's sort of a mission field out there on YouTube, because people comment on uh, people's videos, like people's sermon videos and such, and if you look at certain channels, you'll see, like, especially, like, if the, per if, the per if the channel, the person in the channel is not saved, like, if he's a false prophet, you're going to see a lot of unsaved people posting in the comments. And it, what it boils down to when I find I'm looking at their uh, comments is that most people, they think that you can lose your salvation. And it, the reason for that, it boils down to they don't understand what happens to a person at the moment of salvation. Because if they understood what happens at salvation, there is, I don't think there's any way they could ever come to the conclusion that you could ever lose your salvation. So today I'm going to go over, and I'm not, there's, there's actually a lot of things that happen in the twinkling of an eye when someone's saved that people don't even, may not even realize that that, that actually happens. And I've got a list of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, like 15 items there. I might not get through them all today, but this could be a two-part sermon. But uh, I'm going to go through some uh, as much as I can. Uh, in the time that we have. Uh, so what happens at salvation? First of all, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 1. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 1. All right, so salvation, as we know, is by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But what are we saved from? Number one, what are we saved from? Um... I'm not going to go to 1 Corinthians just yet. Uh, I'm going to go to Romans. Well, Romans 6.23 it says, For the wages of sin is death. Right? You don't have to turn to Romans 3. The wages of sin is death. And then in, if, in Revelation 21, it says, well, in Revelation 20, verse 14, it says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So we're being saved from the second death. Right? Not just death on this earth. We're being saved from the second death, which is hell. Right, That's in Revelation 21. And in 21.8 it says, The fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So even if you've told one lie, that's everyone. Right, Everyone is condemned to hell. So what we're being saved from is that is hell, right? So number one, we're saved from hell, and uh, and it's a it's a past tense thing. It's not a a lot of people think it's a process that it's an ongoing process, and you don't actually get saved until the end of your life. But it actually is. It's it's a it's not a process. It's instantaneous. And in First Corinthians one. Verse 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to, unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So Paul is saying we are saved. It's not, and, then, and you'll see in a lot of other Bible versions, that same verse, if you compare other Bible verses, like the New King James or the uh, NIV, ESV, any of those ones, it'll say in that same verse, uh, it'll say we're being saved. So they're pushing it as a process. So some people don't even believe salvation is a, a done deal. They think it is a process. 
but it is not a process. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it says in, in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. And he tells you that how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But in verse 1 there, it's, or verse 2, it says, By which also ye are saved. Past tense. Some of the other versions will also say being saved there as well. Uh, so that is one reason why we use the King James Bible. It's a difference for in salvation. Um, and now let me go to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ye Are you saved? Again, not being saved, you are saved. So it's a past tense. So that's number one. You're saved from the condemnation of hell. Um, and it also says in, um, if I go to John chapter 3, it gives you more uh, detailed statement here. He that believeth on him, in verse 18, 318, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So if you haven't believed, then you're condemned already. So the whole world is condemned, and only the people that believe on Jesus Christ is not condemned. So you're not condemned, you're saved, right? So if you're saved, you're not going to hell. You cannot go to hell. Uh, like even one of these alone should tell people that they can't lose their salvation. But people just don't understand the process. So now we're in John uh, 3. Um, I'm going to go back to John 3 in a, in a minute. But now I'm going to... The second thing that happens is that you were born again. So in 1 Peter chapter 1... But keep a finger in uh, John 3. We're going to go back there too. First, uh, First Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. So we're born again by the word of God, is what it says there. But not of corruptible seed. Now there's some false Bible versions out there that are, they have differences, right? So there cannot be any contradictions. They have contradictions in them. They are not incorruptible. So the King James is an incorruptible seed because there's no contradictions in it at all, uh, whereas some of the other uh, versions do have contradictions. I, I'm, I, you know, that's a whole sermon on its own. Uh, born again. So it says there, we're born again. So uh, And then if I go to John... Chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 13 says, Which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you're born of God when you're born again. You're born of God. And in John 3, go forward to John 3 again, and Jesus says, 
Verily, verily, I, uh, Jesus answered and said unto Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that is why we have to be born again. And in verse 7, verse, well, verse 5 says, because Nicodemus asked him, well, how can you be born a second time, right? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So you have to be born again. So that is one thing that happens at salvation. You become born again of the spirit. Because it says that which is born of the flesh is flesh. You still have the flesh. So you're being born again of the spirit, right? Which is why, if we go to 1 John chapter 3, and I go to 1 John chapter 3, it mentions we're going to be in 1 John for a few verses. 1 John chapter 3 verse 9 says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So that new spirit that you get, that born again spirit, cannot sin. It's it's impossible, but the flesh sins, and the, and they war and the flesh wars against the uh, spirit, and a lot of times the flesh will win out. But people, don't, a lot of people don't understand. When you're born again, you, your spirit cannot sin. Therefore, how could it ever? How could you ever lose your salvation, right? But they don't under, they don't understand that. They still think that you have to do something in the flesh, even though your spirit is perfect. Uh, now, if I skip forward to First uh, John chapter five, verse one, it says, "Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and every one that loveth Him that begat loveth Him also that is begotten of Him." So there, that's you're born of God. Whoever believe, whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's Another reference to it there. And in verse 4 it says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So he's saying, how do we overcome? Through faith, right? That's how we get born again. And then it says in verse 5, Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? So there we have it again. Another verse telling you, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that He's the Christ, in verse one. So, and then that's your spirit. Whatsoever is born of God is not your flesh; it's your it's your spirit. People don't understand flesh versus spirit, and I ha I preached a whole sermon on that uh, a while back. Uh, and then in verse eighteen it says, "We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not." But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. So it's talking about the spirit again. The spirit cannot sin, because it's perfect. And he that is begotten of God, this is a good verse. Uh, if, if you get someone asking you, is it possible for a saved believer to be possessed? And this verse here says that the wicked one toucheth him not. It's, it's saying it's impossible for you to be demon-possessed if you're a saved 
believer. Uh, because there's no way the devil can uh, force the spirit to leave your body, right? It would have to force it out somehow, and it's, the devil is not stronger than God. It cannot, right? So the wicked one toucheth him not. It cannot sin as well. So the spirit. Uh, so that's the second thing that happens. The third thing is we become children of God. So let's go back to John chapter 1 again. John 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So we become the sons of God and daughters, I suppose, if you're, if you're female. You become children of God uh, at the moment of salvation. And then let's skip forward now to Romans. I'm going to be skipping around a bit today, but Romans 8. And uh, there's, there's a good verse in the Old Testament that says, line upon line, precept upon precept, a little here and a little there, telling you how you can study the Bible by putting together different verses in different diverse places to come to your conclusions. And uh, that's kind of what we're doing today, just by jumping around to this verse and then that verse. Uh, it's actually a valid method of studying the Bible according to the Old Testament. Romans 8.17 says, And if children then heirs. So in verse 16 it says, the, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So we're joint heirs with Christ and we're children of God there it says. Uh, so that's a reference to that. Uh, Galatians 3 Let's go into Galatians. Galatians 3. Like Galatians 3 mentions us being heirs as well. So in, in verse 29 it says, And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That was the promise uh, that God gave to Abraham. So we're, inherit, we're to inherit those promises. And I think I, I preached on that a while back too in Galatians. Uh, and now in, skip ahead a few verses. Galatians 4, verse 5, it says, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So again, we're heirs through Christ, and we're sons of God. He's, it's an adoption. He's adopted us as sons of God, right? Okay. So, someone who thinks you could lose your salvation evidently thinks that God will abort his children somehow. It's almost like they, they believe that can happen. I don't believe God is in the, in the business of killing his children, like, you know, sending his children to hell, right? In Philippians 2, 15, Philippians 2, 15 says, That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, 
without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So we're sons of God and we're in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation for sure. Uh, today, for sure. Absolutely. On that one. Uh, okay. Sons of God. Okay, so, uh, and then I'm going to go back to Ephesians chapter 1. So verse 5 says, Having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So we're predestined. We, we were, when we believed, we were predestined into the adoption of children. And of course, God knows who's going to be a believer, you know, before they even be, before they are even a believer. He knows the end from the beginning, so he knows who's going to believe and who's not. But I mean, it's, we still have uh, free will. The predestination that Calvinism uses is not. Is, I don't believe that at all. Uh, they think that certain people are chosen to be saved and certain are not chosen. I don't believe that. Everyone has a chance. And the predestination is the adoption of children once you believe. It means it's, ha it's guaranteed to happen. Once you believe, you're predestined to become a son of God. It's, a, it's guaranteed, right? It's, it's, it's a certainty. Uh, so the, that's the, so we're now the children of God. And, uh, but of course... Um, if we do, if like we cannot lose ourselves, but if we do sin, it says that um, you know there's some warnings in the Bible saying that you're going to get chastised, right? Because uh, uh, as many as I receive, I rebuke and chasten. That's what Jesus said in uh, in Revelation, and you're going to get rebuked and chastened if you're going to still living in sin. If you're getting into too much sin you should be afraid of getting rebuked and chastened because God and they said there's a sin unto death and you don't want to you don't want to perform that sin unto death because God could just take you to heaven right away right so it's a good reason to try and keep the commandments right we're not doing it to be saved but we want to avoid uh, being chastened as well so now in Romans 12 Number four, we're baptized into the body of Christ. Romans 12. I'll go to Romans 12, verse 5. So in Romans, Romans 12, verse 5 says, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members uh, everyone members one of another. So we're one body in Christ. So we're uh, become part of the body of Christ there. And in First Corinthians chapter twelve, go back to First Corinthians chapter twelve. Okay. Verse thirteen says, "For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body." Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So we're baptized into the body of Christ. That's what, that, that's what that's saying. And we're all drinking into the one spirit, as it says in John chapter 4, that God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in truth. 
and I probably mess it up a little bit, but uh, you, have, you have to worship him in, in uh, what is that, John? In spirit and truth. There you go. That's right. So we're, yeah, so we're about to thank you for that. That one wasn't written down, so I didn't. I didn't have it perfectly memorized yet. Um, the next thing that happens is the remission of sins. Uh, it's an important one. Remission or forgiveness of sins. Let me go to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, verse 77. Yeah, uh, John the Baptist was uh, preaching to, that uh, he was supposed to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. So that is, you know, that's how we're being saved. But like we're being saved because our sins have been forgiven, right? So all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Nobody's perfect, so we need that remission of sins. That's very, it's an important thing. You need to have your sins forgiven, because otherwise you can't, you cannot get into heaven. Otherwise, because you have that, you have a criminal record. And you have to get that criminal record purged before you can get in. So, and now we go to Luke 24. And sometimes, you know, there's a lot of different things you got to remember when you're preaching the gospel to someone at the door. And so maybe we don't want to forget to, uh, especially since in Luke 24, 47 says, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So we're supposed to be preaching repentance and remission of sins because people need to understand that their sins are forgiven once you're saved. Jesus was saying that we need to, we need to preach that. So Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 28. Okay. And that's uh, Jesus at the Last Supper saying, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So that's when he was drinking the cup. That's what we do at the Lord's Supper as we remember him. But he, he the cup is a symbol, the juice is a symbol of his blood, which is shed for the remission of sins, because uh, it, it says in Hebrew that if there's there has to be someone has to die in order for the blood has to be shed in order to there for there to be remission of sins. So in order for the sins of the entire world to be forgiven, God Himself had to die on the cross, had to shed His own blood, and to make that happen. Okay, so Romans, let's go back to Romans three. Romans chapter 3 says, Therefore, okay, did I put that down? Romans 3, that's the, okay, 325, okay. Whom God hath set forth, so verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, 
to de declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So Romans 3.25 tells us he's a propitiation uh, through faith in his blood. So when we believe, we get the propitiation. Now propitiation means he's a substitute for us. It's like as if you're on if you're on death row and you're going you know you're condemned to death right you're on, you're in prison you're on death row if someone comes and confesses to that crime say you're on death row for murder some for murdering someone or whatever if someone comes and um, and confesses to that crime and says no no I did that instead I, that guy didn't do it I did it. That's what Jesus did for us, right? He took the sins of the entire world on his on him and to give us remission of sins. Um, there's some verses on that, which I, I'll get to a little bit later. Uh, but that's basically what he did. He was a propitiation. He, he took our place. So he gets the punishment instead of us. So And the whole wrath of God was, was poured out on him on the cross, it says as well and he bore our whole our sins on the cross so and that's the sins of the entire world past present future every sin ever committed in the history of mankind was was forgiven like was paid for there but all we have to do to receive that payment is to believe that he did that for us that's the key and it's not about and once you believe that that means everything's forgiven anything you can do in the future is for, it's it's done it's forgiven so how could you could how you could ever lose your salvation with like there's no sins left to pay for so how you know you're per, you know it's impossible so so Matthew so Acts 10 go to Acts 10:43 Acts 10 10:43 says to him give all the prophets witness that through his name whoever, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. So that tells us how to receive remission of sins. Through his name. Whoever believeth in him. That's it. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And this verse is also good for people who you may have heard, I don't know if anyone's heard of this, but where the dispensational say, you know, Salvation was by works in the Old Testament, and they were preaching a different gospel, or there's different gospels. But it says here, to him give all the prophets witness. So the, all the prophets were preaching the same thing, that through, through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. That's, and it goes back to Isaiah 53, 11. Let me look up Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the uh, the whole chapter is a prophecy of Jesus. Um, Isaiah 53 verse 11 says, "Yeah, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities." So that's for a remission of sins. That's uh, the propitiation where he's a substitute for us. He's bearing our iniquities. Right? 
So Psalm 103, while I'm in the Old Testament, I'm going to go to Psalm 103. Verse 12 says, um, as f- so verse 11, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. So this remission of sins, he's removed our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. So that's pretty far, right? So once you believe, your transgressions are removed. Your record is clean. You've got a clean criminal record all of a sudden. And that's what happens when you're saved. Okay, so, and now I'll go back to Isaiah 38. Isaiah 38. It says, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. So again, God has cast all of our sins behind his back as far as the east is from the west. Those are some good verses there to show you that he doesn't even regard those anymore. Those are completely forgiven. Um... Hebrews 10. Let's go back to the New Testament now. To Hebrews 10. Verse 17. Verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. So that, he was writing to the Hebrews about uh, animal sacrifices are no longer necessary. Uh, There's no more offering for sin because Jesus is the final sacrifice. And so the Hebrews do not need to, all they need to put is put their trust in him and no more animal sacrifices are necessary. And he's for, he says he will remember them no more. And in Ephesians, back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So by grace we're saved. And we've got the, uh, through his blood, forgiveness of sins. So, again, we get the forgiveness of sins. So, um, saved, born again, children of God, baptized in the body of Christ, remission of sins. The next one is similar to remission of sins, but it's, it's we're justified, right? And it's a past tense thing. Some people say, well, you got to, you know, you got to continue but uh, it's no, it's a one-time thing. So if we go to First Corinthians chapter six, and justified means 
if you want to remember it this way, and I've heard people say this uh, to explain the meaning of it, just think about it as just justified, just as if I never committed anything, right? Just as if I didn't do anything. <laughs> That's what I've heard some people say. Okay, so and then, okay, so in verse First uh, Corinthians six nine says, "Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom, the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God." And then verse eleven. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So you're justified there, it says. It also says you're sanctified as well, uh, washed and sanctified. Uh, the sanctified point is, is a little bit later. So I'm going to cover sanctification later, but it's a past tense. In this, in in terms of sanctification, there is like a there's a concept of trying to obey the commandments to to sanctify your flesh, but it has nothing to do with salvation. That's discipleship, right? But there's this the salvation sanctification is a one-time thing where you're it's done. You're sanctified one time, right? You're considered sanctified. Sanctified really just means set up, set apart, or declared. You're declared holy. You're not actually holy. Your flesh isn't holy, but you're declared holy because it's you're declared justified. It's like because God is a judge, right? And he he had all these charges on your record, but those have been cleaned away, and you're declared not guilty. It's like when a judge says you're not guilty. That's when you're justified, right? So we're justified at saying that. Uh, Matthew chapter 12. Verse 37 says, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So, I mean, when we're trying to find out, you know, if someone's saved or not, we look to their words to see if they believe the right gospel. And if they, if they believe the right gospel, they're going to have the right words to explain it to us. And that's why it says, By thy words thou shalt be justified. Um, we don't look to works to prove salvation. At least I don't. Luke, because, you know, no one's perfect, right? How much works is enough? If you want to look to someone's works to prove their salvation, they would have to be... Nobody can live up to Jesus himself. You'd have to live up to that. Nobody can. So you, you don't look to their works. Okay, so Luke chapter 18 has the Pharisee and the publican. And verse 10... Verse 9 says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and another a Republican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. 
And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So that's how we are justified, not by our works. Uh, the publican was bragging about all his works. He was as if, you know, he's boasting about his works, just like they were in Matthew 7, when they said, Lord, Lord, haven't we done all these wonderful works? And Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. The, the uh, Pharisee is the same. He's proud of all his works. And, but the, the Republican, the publican just says, asks for mercy. That's it. He's, he's not trusting in his works. He's being justified by, and see how they're justified by their words, right? Or condemned by their words. The uh, publican had the right words and the Pharisee had the wrong words, you know, and the wrong attitude because we're supposed to be humble and not exalt yourself, right? And be proud um, because God gives mercy to the humble, not to the, he's not going to, you have to, be, you have to humble yourself in order to understand that you, you know, you cannot justify yourself with your works. Um, Acts 13, Acts chapter 13, verse 39. Thirty-eight says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. So believing in Jesus Christ is how you get justified. You cannot be justified through the law of Moses. It says you, you cannot so another verse to prove that salvation was always by grace through faith. It could never be of works. It says nobody could ever be justified by the law of Moses. And that that hasn't changed any time, you know. They weren't more perfect in the Old Testament. Those dispensations that say that, you know, they had to do works in order to be saved. I don't see it. It says and it says by the deeds of the law there shall be no flesh justified, and if there had been a law which could have, uh, you know, it, you know, if there had been a law, it would still righteousness would still be by the law. If it was possible to justify yourself with the law, then it would still be by the law. So, and since it isn't, it was never by the law. So, that's what I say. Those dispensationalists. So, we're justified by all from all things, not just from some, all things. So, some people say, well. Maybe my past sins are forgiven, but not something I do tomorrow might not be. But how many sins did you commit when Jesus was on the cross? You didn't even exist. Yet all your sins that you hadn't even committed through your whole life were already forgiven because you didn't exist when Jesus died, right? So if he died for all, he had to have died for all your sins, not just some of them, right? And it's the, this limited atonement idea is... It means you're trusting in yourself, right? Uh, really, that's what it boils down to. If you think that there's anything you could ever do uh, to unjustify yourself. Okay, Romans 3. Twenty. Um, 
after Paul says that the, well, let's start with verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So that is, you cannot be justified by the law because the reason for the law is just to point out that you're a sinner, to make people realize that they're, they can't live up to it. That was the, the reason for the law in the first place. Um, all right, so, and then I'm going to go ahead to Romans 3. 24 says being justified now in 23 says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare I say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So a clear statement there that it's not by the deeds of the law. Several times it says it, and people still think it's by the deeds of the law. Somehow they, they can read that and say, no, I think I, I think I need to keep the law or something in order to go to heaven. And even if you point it out, like we talked to someone yesterday about this, even if you point this out to them repeatedly with many different verses, he still they still some people are stuck on it. They still go back to that and say, but I think there's something I can't. I, I think I need to do something in order to go to heaven. It doesn't, you know, I don't know. It's part of the blindness of an, of the unbelievers, I think. It's hard to get through that sometimes. Uh, so the more verses we know about not being justified by the law, the better. Uh, so now I'm going to go forward to Romans 5. And again, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein ye stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So again, by faith we're justified. And Galatians 2, let's go ahead to Galatians 2. Two sixteen says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So that's a good, that's a good verse. It says several times we're justified by faith, not by the works of the law, you know, beginning and end, not by the works of the law. Not, it's like three times in that verse, right? To try and like hammer it to them. Because they just, like, especially like the Galatians, uh, they were being deceived by people preaching a work salvation. Uh, when the Jews were uh, foolish Galatians, it says, right, in, uh, in chapter 3. Because they were trying to justify themselves by the works of the law. 
So he had to rebuke them strongly. I guess it's to get through that blindness that people are stuck in. You know, he had to rebuke them sharply. Uh, yeah, and in verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident the just shall live by faith. The law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. But Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. So he took the curse of the law upon himself. He took all of that. So there's nothing you could ever do to change that. Uh, time machines don't exist. You can't go back and change things. right? So, And then in verse... In chapter 5 of Galatians 5.4 it says in verse 3 it says for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law Christ has become of no effect unto you whosoever of you are justified by the law ye are fallen from grace so if you are hoping that the law is going to, you're going to be able to keep the law and be a good person, Christ is of no effect to you. You cannot mix grace and works, right? It's one or the other. And if you want, if you want it to be by works, you have to keep the entire law perfectly. And, but I mean, it's too late because you would have had to done that since you were born until like until your death, right? You would have had to live a perfect life. You would have had to be Jesus, right? You would have had to be as perfect as that. In order, to, in order to justify by the law. So you cannot be justified by the law, and you have to be justified by faith. Otherwise, Christ's sacrifice doesn't do anything for you at all. It means, you know, because your sins are not forgiven unless you're 100% trusting on him for salvation. So, and that's the topic of justification. And, uh, okay, so next is we're reconciled to God. So we are reconciled to God. Romans, if we go to Romans chapter 5. Yeah, because I was just going through and seeing how many things can I think of that happen at salvation. And there's a lot. <laughs> you know, you don't even think of it, think that there's a lot, but there's a lot. You know, I don't. I think there's... Some people don't understand how many things actually happened. You know, so uh, verse 10, Romans 5, verse 10, says, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So we're reconciled to God, right? We're, we're no longer enemies of God. Um, we're reconciled to him, and there's some more verses on that. In 2 Corinthians 5, says, and all in verse 18, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So the gospel is the word of reconciliation, uh, the forgiveness of sins, so that people can be justified by faith and reconciled to God. Right. So, and then also in uh, Colossians 
chapter 1. Colossians 1, verse uh, 20, says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. So we're reconciled to God. We're no longer enemies and alienated from God um, because of this reconciliation. First uh, uh, John chapter 2 says... <clears throat> First John 2 says in verse 2, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So that, again, he's, we're reconciled by the, because of the fact he's propitiation for our sins. He's the substitute for us. He took our sins on his body. But not just us, but the sins of the entire world. So the, the sins of the entire world have been paid for, but you need to, you cannot, you know, you don't get that payment unless you believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? But that verse is, goes against Calvinism because they say only certain people were chosen to be saved. But that verse says he's the substitute for the entire world. He paid for the sins of the entire world, not just the elect, as the Calvinists say. And it's going forward to 1 John chapter 4. Verse 10 says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So it's not about us loving God to be saved, it's about God loving us, right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but, ha but have everlasting life. So it's about God loving us and that he sent his Son to die for our sins on the cross and okay so the next topic here is imputed righteousness this is what you get when you're saved is is righteousness imputed to you which means put onto your account uh, Romans chapter 4 explains that Romans 4 So it says in verse 4, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So the, the imputed righteousness, it's, our faith is counted for righteousness. So it's put onto our account. We get Jesus' righteousness put to our account. And um, not only is his righteousness put on our account, but our future sins are covered because in the, verse 8, the, it says the Lord will not impute sin. So you cannot... There's nothing you can do to be charged with that sin. It's already been paid for, right? There's nothing anyone can do once you're saved 
it's impossible for you. God doesn't even count your sins against you. That's what it says there. He doesn't impute sin to the believer. He doesn't count it against you. Of course, he will chastise you for it on this earth, but in terms of salvation, it's not counted against you to get to heaven, right? It's no longer counted against you. So, um, so let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. I think I went here before. 19. The, the verse that says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. So it, that the verse about the reconciliation also says that our trespasses are not imputed unto us, not laid to our account. And um, there's another verse that says, who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And, uh, you know, nobody... Because it's it's not we're not he's not imputing our trespasses onto us, doesn't count against us. And we'll go to First Peter, chapter two. First Peter two. Twenty four. First Peter two twenty four says this is about Jesus who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed so yeah he bore our sins on his body that's a good uh, verse that we use soul winning sometimes to explain what happened and how Christ bared bear our sins in his body on the tree uh, the cross, it calls it a tree. It was made of wood. So uh, Some denominations say it was literally a tree, but uh, it, was a cro- it, was, it was still a cross. Um, obviously, the Romans used a cross. So back in Ezekiel 53, it says, Ezekiel 53. Not Ezekiel 53. What do I have? No, Isaiah 53. Okay. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, um, 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he took all of our, all of our sin. I must have read that earlier, but he took everything on himself, right? That's imputed righteousness. He took, so it was a transaction that took place. He took our sin on him, and then he gave us his clean record, and we're free, right? That's what you know. That's why one verse it says that he's freeing the captives. Like that was Isaiah 61, I think, preaching that uh, in Isaiah 61 here, preaching uh, to proclaim liberty to the captives in 61 verse 1, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, because He's free. We're free from that prison of the law, and he's taken the punishment instead. So I think I'm about halfway through. So I'm gonna. <laughs> it's gonna be a part two. Okay, there's gonna be a part two where I'm gonna cover the rest of my uh, what happens in salvation. We're only halfway through, right? So saved. To recap, we're saved. We're born again. 
we become children of God, we're baptized into the body of Christ, we receive the remission of sins, we're justified, reconciled to God, and we received imputed righteousness. So, and then there's a bunch more things that have happened that are even, you know, I wish I could cover it all today. But in two weeks, I shall continue with the next, with my next uh, topics that I haven't got to. So, as you can see, these things, a lot of things happen when you're saved. And if you, if people would understand all the things that happen, if they would listen to us when we tell them these things. Then you know they would. I can't imagine they could ever come to the conclusion that um, they could ever lose their salvation, or they'd have to do works in order to be saved. Because it's it's clear with all those verses, it's just crystal clear that it's by faith, grace through faith, not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's it's like it's all over the Bible as we've seen that it's irrefutable. You know, it's not by works, right? So. I'm going to end there, and we'll conti I'll continue that in two weeks or the next time, whenever the next time I preach again.